Hello. hello, hello, hello. I don't know why you say hello. I, no, I don't know why you say goodbye and say hello. I fucked up the Beatles. You fucked it up. Damn it. Hello, hello. My dad's gonna be really disappointed. He's a huge Beatles aficionado. Uh, what's new with you? Um, well, when you said food of your lungs, I immediately thought about Adam and Eve. Oh, from the Hold the Folk episode? Yeah. Which was a good episode. Yeah, we can put that out there. <laughs> Just gonna praise ourselves. You know what that also makes me think of? Mm-hmm. I was recently listening to The Bingeables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're a cool podcast. I think we've mentioned it before. Yeah. On um, which TV shows are great to binge. They kind of do an in-depth analysis on what goes on, and it's all really kind of fun and stuff. But I started with episode one to three of Good Omens. That's it. that's what they're talking about on their podcast, mm. and um, yeah, it's really cool. So just a little podcast record. Go check it out. Also, go watch Good Omens if you haven't, because <gasps> it's so yes. actually no wait. Read the book first, because the book is just interesting, and then read this. I mean, then watch the series. Cause it's so it's interesting, right? Because I think I'm going to possibly no no not disagree no. with you, but I'm going to suggest that it's actually not a hundred percent necessary. To have read the book, I think the only thing is when you go into it, when when you start watching like from episode one, mm-hmm. you need to realize that this is going to be wacky. It's going to be bizarre, and that's what they're going for. Like, don't expect normality. Yeah, no, I mean the reason why I thought maybe read the book first because there's so many like small references to it that you might not. I mean, I said it'll come up as bizarre. Yeah, like, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. Reading the book completely enhances the TV show because yeah. you're like, oh, wow, they included that and, you know, this works mm-hmm. so well and whatnot. But what I'm saying is it's not a case where, like, especially if you're not a, necessarily a book lover or yeah, you're true. not really into reading, it's not a case where you need to have read the book mm-hmm. to understand the show because yeah, the show on, on its own is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. David Tennant and uh, Michael Sheen yeah. just have the most insane chemistry. And I mean that in all possible <laughs> <laughs> connotations. Also, also, you think that they turn the women look good in that hairstyle and sometimes the outfits, but he somehow makes anything look good. Oh, bro, I am hot for DT in red hair. Okay. I mean, well, I, it's I, out there now. I don't usually like gingers. I mean, I, I don't mean <laughs> that in an <laughs> offensive way. You heard it, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean I don't like them. I mean, like, it's not my uh love language or whatever you have a ginger cat yeah and i'm not attracted to my ginger cat <laughs> sexually you'll be happy to know um yeah so i'm not usually into ginger guys or whatever but he looked so literally lit even, <laughs> even like that goatee that he had at one point i'm like your hair is actual fire <laughs> his eyes are actual fire Right, but yeah, it was absolutely amazing, funny, and if you are already a Neil Gaiman fan, then you'll be really pleased because his distinctive style comes through so well, mm-hmm. I think. And Terry Pratchett, of course, R.I.P. Yeah, <laughs> this is not an ad, by the way. <laughs> We're just <Yeah>. gushing. <laughs> We're just fan calls. Yeah, we are not promoting Amazon Prime mm-hmm. or Good Omens, but we are the official PRs of David Tennant. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. Yeah, yeah, we work for him. I mean, also the... Hi, David. Notice me, please. <laughs> <laughs> if Amazon Prime wants to contact us, yeah, you know, we won't say no. We we won't even say maybe. We'll hey. say yes, 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 yes. Did we even mention Amazon in the previous episode? <laughs> Jeff Bezos needs to get us on the payroll. I am ready for that. Did you hear that? I don't, it sounded like a bunch of marbles. Yeah, it sounded like the lady who lives in the apartment right above us either threw marbles or possibly ceremonial bones. Yeah. <laughs> 
the people are trying to predict when lockdown level four is going <laughs> They're to just end. using a lot of different methods. I mean, I don't think she's going to listen to us. I'm going to say this. I'm pretty sure she's not actually an old woman, but an alien, because there's some really strange noises that come out from there, and I think she sheds her skin daily. Oh, you know, that reminds me of that Doctor Who episode. Um... It, it was on the 11th Doctor's run. Um, it's the one with James Corden in it. Remember, yeah. his name is Craig, and he's got this alien tenant living upstairs that, that he doesn't even know oh, about because yeah. there's a perception falter on the yeah, top yeah. floor. And according to the building's um, blueprint, it doesn't actually it doesn't even have a top floor. Yeah, yeah. So what if what if there's actually like on record there's nobody actually living on the flat in the room above us? And we've just been hearing like these scraping noises, mm-hmm. shuffling. Been same strange banging noises. And now these marbles. Yeah, we could actually be haunted. Explains so much. Anyway. Well, this is we very on topic. On topic. <laughs> so you got any news? Oh, so talking about lockdown level four, mm-hmm. I realized that people listening in other countries might not know what the hell we're talking about. So just to quickly put that a little bit in perspective, the lockdown from around, when was it, like the 25th of March? Yeah. It was called lockdown level five, where everything was closed. You couldn't go outside for any other reason other than an emergency or to get groceries. Yeah. Um, you couldn't buy fast food, alcohol, cigarettes, the whole patootie. And now we have officially moved down to level four, which I assume is the burnt umber level. <laughs> In which, basically, all the restrictions are there, except that now we can order fast food. So to celebrate, we are ordering pizza for lunch. Yes, please. Because we have been you cooking know, so actually, much. Which is a good thing, because we do need to practice our cooking skills. But also, speaking of what, we should probably get on that, because what if there's a delay? And then if you only get pizza at 8 o'clock tonight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. But anyway, so fast food is back. Cigarettes are back. I think booze is not Mm-mm. available. I think it's back. Oh, yeah, yeah, cigarettes are back. Yeah. No, no, booze is, I think, only going to be available level two or something. So, good luck, people who need alcohol. Yeah, we feel for you, man. We, we do. Feel for you. And then the only other thing is we can now exercise outside, so you got an extra excuse for going out. But apparently, you can only exercise between six to nine. Yeah, we have a coffee. The entire nation is a preteen girl. <laughs> yeah, so you can exercise from six to nine in the morning, and you have to be home. From, I think, was it 8 o'clock in the evening till 5 in the morning? Yeah. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the government is our dad now. <laughs> the government is our Thank dad. Thank you, Daddy Rami. <laughs> Rami, Daddy. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do have, again, though, it's gonna be, it's about a TV series, that's my news. I finished watching Is it Peaky Blinders? One of Peaky Blinders. I knew it. It's the Peaky Blinders. Whenever I try to do the accent, though, I just sound Afrikaans. I'm like, the Peaky Blinders, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the Peaky Blinders one. <laughs> That's horrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've offended people. I won't fucking leave. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I thought that was pretty good. That was pretty good, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Have you watched it? Um, I watched the first, like, two episodes. I couldn't understand what they were saying. Okay, yes, yes, the thing you don't, but then you get used to it, and then you might have to go back and rewatch episodes. <laughs> oh, that's what they were saying. But yeah. it's actually so good. It's. it's of suspense and action and it's actually really clever and the people are really clever and you don't like everyone's very human how good is Samuel? oh my god he's a complete bugger in the episode <laughs> wow is that the the worst name you can yeah. come up with no he's no he's just a complete there was bugger more. and then for some reason I was like I can't swear and then I realized what are we talking about <laughs> I know, he's very, very good acting, but you all hate his character so much. I just want to kick him in the balls. <laughs> in the Awakatis, as it were. <laughs> the return of the Awakatis. <laughs> oh, which reminds me, you have a new warm-up. Would you like to uh, treat people to your new warm-up the regime? No, no, not the Cumberbatch. The strange vomiting noises you make <laughs> in an attempt to clear your throat. Honestly, I have a very sensitive gag reflex, which, you know, the Shira knows, but... She'll still do this weird, like, retching sound when she wants to clear her throat. I'm like, how is that clearing anything? It just makes me feel better, okay? Well, it makes me feel like up checking. I'm sorry, I'll do without noise. <laughs> I'm stupid, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you can't see, but she's mind vomiting, so that's supposed to help me. Are you want to just look. Anyway, so yeah, that's, that's my news. <laughs> Once more TV series. Okay, all the TV series oh, recommendations. Also, my master's is going well. Oh, good. You're almost done, right? I'm hoping so. Maybe just a few more drafts and then done so. Hey, nice. 
I mean, it's only like 72,000 words. It's not 72,000 words. It's it goes like, on forever. It doesn't. It's like 50-something. It looks like Chidi's philosophy book in, <laughs> in The Good Place, which, uh, you know, is yet another TV recommendation. This is just a TV series, um, Jonah. Yeah, this has really become a TV yeah, series. Yeah, I mean, talked about it. <laughs> like from yesterday. Yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> from <laughs> the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, let's, let's get back on topic. What are you talking about today? Oh, you want me to just go on with my story? You don't hear me talk? Oh, sorry, did, did you have something else? I was going to talk about my brownies. Oh, sorry, no, come on. Well, Petro, uh, the other day I was lively stalking Lynn manuel Miranda's Twitter, as I, I do. Just one second. She's just lively stalking, but she literally looks at all of his Twitter posts. And there's a lot. Okay, they're called Nightly. Grandma. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Nightly. I mean, I don't have Twitter, so I literally Google Which is even weird, his then. Twitter handle and then scroll through them for like a couple hours. But like, he's just so good at tweeting them. It's not my fault. Well, anyway, I was like, please stalking him, scrolling through his tweets as I do, as is my main hobby. And I came across this retweet from his wife's Twitter, Vanessa Nadal, I think is her last name. Mm-hmm. And she posted a recipe by Catherine Hepburn, no less, for fudgy brownies. And she said there was the, it was the best brownies she'd ever had. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to bake. And FYI, I'm not a baker. Like, I, I, I barely like to cook. I'm not good at feeding myself. It was a momentous occasion. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I got started. I, I made the whole thing. And I have to say, they are the best brownies I've actually ever had. They're so, they were so good. So perfect, fudgy, not too sweet, not too dark, just perfect. Yeah, it was really good. And they were easily wiped out within They're a day. They're finished. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was restraining ourselves because we probably could have eaten the entire batch in one go. Oh, yeah. I could have at least eaten about four, but I cut myself with two yesterday, two. No. Yeah, four. I think I did actually end up eating four, but, you know, spaced out. Yeah, so I gotta say, Catherine Hepburn's brownies. Check it out if you haven't already. Uh, the recipe is on PBS. It's also got a whole bunch of cool information about Catherine Hepburn herself, I think. I didn't really read how it. Did she, do you know how like that recipe got out in the first place? Did she actually kill it to so somebody I think at this some page point? on PBS actually lists a whole lot of historical recipes. So it's mm. got a little bit of a blurb on the history of the person or whatever, and then it's got the recipe at the bottom. Mm. It's a food blog. Yeah, no, I mean, I just wondered how it, you know, it actually eventually got there. Yeah, so definitely um, one for lockdown baking or procrastinating baking or whatever it is you're doing to uh, <laughs> live through the quarantine. Yeah. All right, let me get on with it. You got me. I'm excited. All right, so my topic today is very uh, <laughs> relevant to the current uh, environment, oh our current is circumstances. Is it about an illness? Um, indirectly. Okay. So, since we have pretty much nothing to do but sit on our butts all day watching the super annoying trucks go by, mm-hmm. I take it you've seen a bunch of memes lately, right? Right. What, what's your favorite meme, just incidentally? Um, <laughs> it's about the president. Oh, yeah? So, should I say? <laughs> sure, I mean, as long as it's not violent or disrespectful. Um... I think it's definitely the one where it's so um our president is notoriously late for announcements. I don't know why, but he is. And so this is just Sheldon from um from the government. What's Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. Just like knocking on the door and like, Ramposa, Ramposa, are you there? Are you here yet? <laughs> yeah, I remember the very first announcement on the lockdown. He was like two hours late. Yeah, Jim, I think it's because he's constantly getting new information, so he has to obviously then you know, decide what he's going to use. But it, it was more. hilarious because even our national broadcasting network, SABC, yeah. posted on their uh, Twitter that they don't know what's taking so long. <laughs> Look, he needs to put on his mask, he needs to disinfect, as well as that. Yeah, that. apparently he was having meetings with stakeholders in inverted commas. Oh, so he was actually eating steak. <laughs> that was happening. Anyway, so I'm betting a good percentage of these memes that you've uh, seen are about coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Arguably the hottest global phenomenon since Kim Kardashian's sex tape. Oh god. <laughs> I mean, it literally gives you a fever. It's gotta be hotter yeah, than Kim Kardashian. But did you know that the earliest viral meme actually dates back to the 19th century? Oh, no, I didn't. Yep, like way before Bill Gates was even a twinkle in his great grand puppy's eye. <laughs> So today I'm talking about Amabier. I'm pretty sure mm. that's how you 
say it. Amiibo? No, Amabie. A-M-A-B-I-E. Okay. It's a Japanese water creature that is here to save our sorry lives. Okay, where is it? I know, right? <laughs> so first things first, Amabie is known in Japanese folklore as a yokai. Do you know what a yokai is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yokai are a specific class of supernatural creature, also known as the Ayakashi or Mononoke. Wait, I thought of that. Mononoke? No, wait. That's a, that's a movie. Princess Mononoke? <laughs> I think that's the right one. That also sounds Mononoke. Princess Mononoke. Maybe it's related somehow. Anyway, continue. So they are usually mischievous or even sinister beings, although some, as in the case of the Amabie, have been known to bring good fortune. Yokai are specific to the Edo period in Japanese folklore. That's a period from around 1603 to 1868, which was a time of relative economic and political stability for Japan. Mm-hmm. So they were under a fairly oppressive regime at the time, but it, it was a, a regime in which there wasn't really much in the way of conflict and um, you know trade was booming and so on and so forth. So yeah, it was it was good times. It was the worst of times. It was the best of times. <laughs> To quote my old friend, Charlie. Charlie? <laughs> Only the guys call him Charlie. <laughs> now, the Amabie itself dates back to 1846, and this is mm-hmm. the story, the origin tale, as it were. All right, all right. One night in mid-May, a government official spotted a mysterious green light floating in the seawater of the Higo province. Oh, God, and then he followed it? Which, by the way, is now known as the Kumamoto Prefecture. Oh. Upon investigation, the light turned out to be a luminescent green fish-like creature with scales, long flowing hair, three legs shaped like fins, and a beak. Wait, what? Yeah, so in my mind, I'm thinking a bit of the platypus. Like, it's just kind of a creature that seems to have been put together from different parts of different animal It's a chimera. Phyla. Well, kind, kind of. of like a chimera, but it's not necessarily... Um, like, it's not necessarily I got identifiable parts right, of, right. of specific creatures. It's just, like, it's kind of a mermaid. So, wait, it's got three legs, and these three legs are fins. Yeah, well, they're not exactly fins, but they're fin-like, like they're webbed. Okay. So, webbed feet, long hair, scales, and a beak. <laughs> the beak again. <laughs> <laughs> the Amabia bestowed a prophecy upon the man. It predicted that for the following six years, Japan would have a bountiful harvest, but that it would also be ravaged by plague. Okay. So it would be six years bountiful harvest, then horrible plague. Mm-hmm. In order to ameliorate the plague, and you're going to love this part, the Amabe instructed that an image of itself be drawn and shared as widely as possible. Oh my gosh, clickbait! Well, basically, Amabe <laughs> was trying to become the first ever influencer. <laughs> like, subscribe! <laughs> through the traditional advertising method of share, like, and subscribe, or die of plague, you puny mortal ape creature. Cool, maybe we should try that method. Yeah, subscribe to us or die of coronavirus. It's really your choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you will die of coronavirus. I'm only saying that if you do, it was only your own fault. <laughs> <laughs> it was karma for not subscribing. Mm. I like this new aggressive technique. It's going to get us nowhere. <laughs> so despite the bizarreness of these events, the Japanese media took this scaly Kylie Jenner wannabe quite seriously. Kylie <laughs> Jenner? Well, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, the long flowing hair. I can't. The films. <laughs> So, um, the Japanese media went all out. They published not only the story of the government official's encounter with the mm-hmm. creature, but also a woodblock print that was widely uh, disseminated throughout the country. Okay. And you've got to see this woodblock print. We probably, I think we'll put it on oh, our put it on Instagram. Instagram. But it's the most hilarious thing. It oh. literally looks what like it fuck? was drawn by, like, 10-year-old me. It's the most... Are those supposed to be feet? <laughs> yeah, those are the three feet. Oh, and it sort of just hovers over the sea, does it? I don't think it's supposed to be hovering over the sea, to be honest. Although it could be a sign of the Amabie, um emerging okay, from right, the water. Yeah. But then you shouldn't see it at the end of the feet. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't mean to insult the artist. It's just, I have to be honest, it, it looks really like a, a kid's illustration. Also, do they do it earrings? No, I don't know what that is on a view. Anyway, there were, of course, copycat sightings of the Amabie after that. Notably, the appearance of a land-based ape creature. Of course, land-based ape creeper, creature. Isn't that us? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, it could have been actual Kylie Jenner beta version 1.0. Oh, 
Another source I found says that Amabie may be a variation of a similar supernatural creature named Amabiko, yet other versions have Amabie as a three-legged monkey creature rather than some kind of person. Okay. So I find it interesting, the recurrence of three legs. You know, whether it's a monkey creature or a person, it always has three legs. I mean, three, isn't that a special, a special number? Yeah, so like I think... I'm not sure whether four is an unlucky number. There's some unlucky number in Japanese. Yeah, but I don't know whether three is a lucky number. So that would be interesting to know. Mm. Now, as I mentioned previously, the Amagie is a yokai that emerged during the Edo period. This was the last period of traditional Japan. So Japan was at this time still governed by the shogunate, which was a military dictatorship. Okay. As part of their regime, the shogunate prohibited a vast amount of mass publishing to the public. So kind of a bit like um, if you think of modern-day North Korea, all media is regulated by the government, yeah. so it can only support the regime and the propaganda right, right, of the yeah. dictatorship. Uh, stories of the supernatural therefore spread through what was known as the kawaraban, which was basically the media black market. So there were these one-page prints of the MRVA being distributed secretly (laughs) on the media underground. According to yokai expert Matthew Mayer, the invention of the yokai may have been a reaction to both oppressive government policy and the emergence of international trade in Japan, which brought with it a number of diseases like cholera. So not only were they important goods, but obviously... As a byproduct of that, they were importing diseases and, and you know foreign antibodies from other countries. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that this cropped up at the time. If people were afraid of these new diseases. Most extraordinary, however, is how the Amagie has both resurfaced and taken off in popularity in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I was actually about to ask you, has it come back? Yeah, it has come back in a big way. Amagie has become... So popular, um, I think not only in Japan, although mainly in Japan, but it's got gotten an international following at this point, because this is truly the pandemic that the Amabie pre- predicted would have predicted. Oh right, right. Okay. So are we actually getting memes now? <laughs> Just wait and see. So <laughs> on March fifteenth, the production company of the manga Gegege no Kitaro, nice, which is uh, an oldish manga. It's actually from the sixties. They tweeted a drawing by the manga's creator, Shigeru Mizuki, mm-hmm. of the Amabie, with the message, May the modern epidemic disappear. Mm-hmm. And this sparked an entire anti-coronavirus Amabie-themed movement on social media. The hashtags were hashtag Amabie challenge, <laughs> hashtag Amabie for everyone, and you had Amabie depicted in pretty much every imaginable medium. I mean every imaginable, like... There's been the traditional forms, paintings, mm-hmm. drawings, embroidery, but there's there've also been food art, so oh. bento boxes, uh-huh. udon bowls, and there's even been like pet cosplay. What? <laughs> yeah, like dressing your dog up as an Amadio. Interesting. So um Maybe we should get on that. Yeah, I mean I w- I would love to see your Amabie illustrations. If there's anyone who's into drawing, painting, bento oh, box Oh dressing up your animal. Structuring dressing up your animal. Heck, I mean, even if you want to do your own personal cosplay, yeah. we would love to see your best Amabie um, imitations. Yeah, this is a picture of the bento Whoa. box. Yeah, it's really imaginative. It's, it's actually pretty good. It's really I mean, interesting. People have gotten super creative with this movement. Even the Japanese government has jumped on the trend. Mm-hmm. So recently, the Minister of Health and Labor used a flyer bearing the Amabie's likeness to urge citizens to help end the spread of the virus. Wow. <laughs> I just thought, given all the bad news we've had recently, with the countless deaths, reports yeah. of violence, and even your smaller losses of everyday pleasures like sport and cinema, mm-hmm. Amabie is both um, a uniting force. It's something that has really kind of helped Japanese people rally together around the symbol. And it's also, to be honest, just a story of hope. Yeah, it's actually really nice. Maybe we should try to get it going until after this. Or unless it's already going. Yeah, or maybe we have our own personal South African Amabie. <laughs> peaches, are you ready? Yeah, Peaches. Peaches is going to bring the end of the pandemic. Peaches, I'm going to dress you up with your nice long hair. Flowing. Three legs. And a beak. We'll have to remove a leg. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>
So my sources for today was the SmithsonianMag.com, keeping it professional, <laughs> BBC Travel, The Guardian, and of course our Lord and Savior, Wikipedia. <laughs> Still That's waiting for them to sponsor us. They're asking for sponsors. And I feel I'm stupid and feeling so bad because they're like, just you know a little bit and then we use them so much. Yeah, we should probably try to sponsor Wikipedia. One day when I have money. Yeah, one day when we're not completely penniless students. Be a Yali donor. Donor? Donator? Donor. <laughs> English isn't your first language. Mm-hmm. No, I'm actually um, As uh, Christine from and that's why we drink with that. <laughs> yes, I'm actually German. <laughs> I feel like we quote podcasts quite a lot. This is legendary podcast where we quote other podcasters. Exactly. Everything is just ripped off. <laughs> we are, we apologize. We're sorry. <laughs> okay, no, no, we're sorry. actually going to get copyright mm-hmm. infringement uh, suits coming our way. <laughs> okay, hit me with your best chat. Uh, uh, uh. Okay. Hit me with your mm, We're doing the same podcast again. I think we should transform this into a singing podcast. It will get zero subscribers. <laughs> I'm ready, okay? Minus 50 likes. I'm the next Justin Bieber. I'm the next Camila Cabello. I, okay. No, no, I mean, I fully support you. <laughs> the expression of complete disbelief <laughs> on your face is really encouraging. No, I mean, I, I, anyway. <laughs> so, today, um, I'm going to talk about a creature or maybe figure i'll say figure called anansi oh i know this i know this you do know this oh no do you know everything already african spider god do you know everything already no no but i'll tell you i know it because i read this book by neil gaiman Mm -hmm. i can't remember if it was called anansi okay i'll get the title just now you carry on talking i'm gonna google okay well i hope there's something that you don't know um, so Anansi is from Akan mythology. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit of history of the Akan people. I think it's important to know. So the Akan people migrated from the Sahel region, which is a region of Western and North Central Africa, extending from Senegal eastward to Sudan, and the savannas of West Africa through Egypt, and they settled in Nubia. Uh, Nubia is now northern Sudan and southern Egypt. Now, around uh, 500 AD, the Aksumite kingdom of Ethiopia managed to destroy Nubia and that forced the Akan people to move west. They then established small trading kingdoms, and these kingdoms grew, and around 750 AD, the Ghanaian Empire was formed. Oh, mm. I didn't even know there was a Ghanaian Empire. Right? I knew yes. about the um, Aksumite. Uh, no, not the Aksumite. I have never heard of Aksumite, dude. Oh. It sounds like a type of rock. <laughs> no, wait, Ethiopian, that's Dolomite. <laughs> nice. The Ethiopian, Ethiopian Empire was huge, actually. It was very... Uh, yeah, so I knew there was an Ethiopian Empire. I didn't know they were called Axumites. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so this empire lasted from 750 AD to 1200 AD, uh, when the introduction of Islam in Western Sudan then eventually led to its fall. The Akan people then moved to Kong, which is present-day um, Ivory Coast. From Kong, they moved to uh, Wam and then to Dorma, both located in present-day Rang Ahafo region. I'm hoping I'm saying this all correctly, uh, which is in southern Ghana. Okay, so just to confirm, so they moved from Nubia, which is Sudan, yeah, west to Ghana. Yeah, and then um, when I say they moved to uh, Wam and then to Dorma, this is still in Ghana, they just basically moved south. Right, gun is quite big, right? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so, we should know this. <laughs> we are African, after all. Yeah, we, we, this is not good. Okay. Um, around the 14th century, they mo- then moved again from Dorma in the southeast to Tufo Heman, uh, Cape Coast, which is still in Ghana. Okay. There, they established the kingdom of Bonoman in the 12th century. And between the 12th and 13th centuries, there was a gold boom in the area, which then enriched the whole population. Okay. Um, during different phases of the Kingdom of Bonaman, groups of Akans migrated out of the area to create numerous states based predominantly on gold mining and trading of cash crops. These are not what cash crops are, because I don't know and I didn't look it up. I think it's literally crops that you trade for cash. Okay, I'm hoping that's what it is. So instead of like um, crops that aren't really consumed commercially, these are ones that would have been for um, regularly traded. Yeah. yeah, like wheat and. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that's what it means. <laughs> Cotton stuff. Just um. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a little interjection. I looked it up on Google. The book by Neil Gaiman is called Anansi Boys. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, really and good book. And actually, like, okay. 
Cool, Frida. So this uh, gold mining and trading of cash crops ultimately led to the rise of the Akan Empire, the Empire of Ashanti. So that lasted between 1700 and the ni- um, to 1900. Oh, okay. I, I know of the Ashanti tribe. Okay. It's, I think, the biggest tribe in Ghana. Yeah, I, I think it's still, they're still, it's still a big population. Yeah. Um, so they became the biggest gold mining population at that time. However, as always, this wealth attracted European traders and first to arrive were the Portuguese, followed by the Dutch and the British. Um, uh, the usual suspects. <laughs> yeah. So now what happened was actually, I found this quite shocking. Various Akan states actually waged wars on each other in order to capture people and sell them as slaves to the Europeans. What? They were selling out their own people? Yes. Essentially. Yeah, basically they were selling their neighbors. Um, the Europeans then subsequently sold the slaves, along with guns, back to the Akan states in exchange for Akan gold. No, no, no. So whoa, 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 I found whoa. that very confusing. Okay. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> so you're saying that one state in Ghana sold people from a different state, also yeah. Ashanti people. I think so. To the Europeans. Mm. Then the Europeans sold the slaves back to them? They sold them back with guns for Akan gold. So I don't, I, I think so. So the Europeans were getting Akan gold and the Shanti were getting their people back plus guns. So it seems as though they were basically using actual human bodies and guns as a medium of currency exchange. Yeah, which is horrible. So that's what I understand by that. Do we know whether the Ashanti people already had a kind of slave caste? Were they already using slaves? You know, I actually don't know. That's actually a really good question, and I don't, I can't answer that. Um, I don't think so, but... I assume they were if they were buying people, though. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know before this, maybe. I don't know if it just started now. Um, but Akan Gold was also used to purchase slaves from further up north by the Trans-Saharan route to help clear the dense forests. Forest. So now it seems like some of the Ashanti people themselves, as you say, bought slaves from other states to help clear out these forests. So yeah, it does seem like they were in the slave trade. Jeez. About a third of the population of many Akan states were indentured servants, that is non-Akan people. Jeez, a third. A third. And actually in 2006, Ghana apologized to the descendants of slaves for the role some of, uh, for the role some of its people may have played in the slave trade. Okay, only 2006? Only in 2006. And this was when again? Um, this was in the between fifteenth and nineteenth century. Jeez. It was in the nineteenth century that this is really happening, yeah. Okay, so a bit late on the apology. Yeah. <laughs> um so the Akan people, especially the Ashanti people, fought against European colonialists and defeated them on several occasions. For example, um apparently during the Anglo uh, Ashanti Wars and several other battles. By the early nineteen hundreds, Ghana was a colony of Great Britain. And on the 6th of March, 1957, Ghana was decolonized. <laughs> but I mean, it's like 6th of March, 1956, and then only in 2006. Yeah. Is that apology issued? Yeah. Like a bit ridiculous. No, way too late, way too late. Guys. Yeah. So, sorry, that's a bit somber, but I, I just thought that But it's quite interesting, because I think definitely when we think slavery, we think of the uh, importation of yeah. uh, especially West African people, but also East African people to uh, England or to uh, the U.S. Mm. Uh, uh, during uh, colonialism. And you don't really think of it as an exportation. Like, you don't think of local people selling out their own or exporting their own um, during the slave trade. Mm. It's like it it becomes a very us versus them. And you realize, actually, what a not only toxic but also erroneous narrative that is because we have to always acknowledge that even if you did have a group of oppressed people, it didn't mean that the group was uniformly good. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, th- this completely shocked me when I read it. I didn't expect that at all. But yeah, it, it does make sense. I didn't think that would have happened. Um, so yeah, sorry about that. It's not very funny. But I thought the history was important. It kind of also puts you in mind of, uh, within the U.S., tales of um, uh, like black free people mm. from the north selling other black people down south. Yeah. You know, it, it, it sort of seems perverse, but at the same time you have to realize that people were kind of working in their self-interest. Like, to avoid mm. being sold as slaves themselves, they kind of just sold out the next guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also when you are brought up and get involved in that kind of culture. I mean, this is this goes back into ancient uh, cultures. Like, ancient Romans did the same thing with each other. 
the Roman people enslaved Roman people and yeah. sold them. It's not, it's not like they only enslaved the Greeks. Um, the Greeks the same thing. It's just, it's especially a, it's especially common with free people. So when people are slaves and then they're free, they think that in order to then rise up in society, they have to continue this trend, continue this thing, and they, they enslave other people. Yeah. Because it's good for their reputation. So it's just, it's a very toxic cycle. But so Anansi um, himself. Now the myth of Anansi was passed on through all tradition, and so we can't really know when the story truly began. Anansi is the king of stories, a trickster, a joke maker, and a teacher. He can be summoned by those with a gift for stories, either to listen to a tale or to help someone become a master storyteller. He appears as a spider, a man with spider-like features, or sometimes a mix of both, most commonly as a spider with a man's face or head, or a man with eight legs. Which is truly Ooh. my nightmare. <laughs> yeah, that's. I do not like spiders, by the way. That reminds me of Toy Story. Remember the toy? Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a baby's head. Yeah, and on had mechanical all these... spider legs. Yeah, thank that's, you. That's kind of what I'm imagining. That's gonna haunt my dreams. What? <laughs> <laughs> which is worse, by the way? Do you think, like, a oh. man's body on spider legs, or mm. the other way around? You know, a man's body on spider legs kind of also reminds you of that crab guy from Monster Inc. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mr. So, uh, water Snoot. Something like that. I can't change apart. No. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, I think that would be worse for me because of the scuffling. I hate things that scuffle. Oh, that's true. Like, things that crawl or slither. Not so bad, but when they scuttle towards you, it's that's just like... It's like, go away. Yeah, so I don't think I can handle that. Not a huge amount of crabs, then, huh? You know... Yeah, the thing is that I haven't actually seen a crab. I mean, I've seen small crabs, that's fine. But like those monster ones, yeah. if they had to come towards me, I'm, I'm oh, gone. those I'm Alaskan gone. giant crabs. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I would, mm-mm. thank you very much. Um, so some stories speak about how Anansi created the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. Others speak of how he brought writing, agriculture, and hunting to earth. And um, how he taught humans in the process how to take care of themselves. So uh, he's like Maui. Yeah, I was actually about to say that he's very much like a carer of humans. Like Mm. Maui, like a bit like how Prometheus like stole fire from the gods to help humans. Yeah. So it explains why they were also trickster gods, because they actually tricked other gods. Yeah, not so much that they want to mess up the lives of humans, they want to help us, but they have to then go against the gods. Can I just say it's also so appropriate that he has the form of a spider, because if you think about it, he, you said he was also known as a storyteller, right? Mm. And a spider weaving a web exactly. is very much like what storytellers do. Exactly, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so there's actually quite a few stories uh, about him. I just wanted to uh, tell one, though. Um, this one is about how he brings stories to the world. So, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so the story goes that Anansi thought the world was a really dull and boring place because all the stories in the world were being hoarded in a box in the sky by his father, Niame. So he spun a silken thread and climbed to the sky and went to ask his father if he could take the box and give it to the people of the earth so that they can learn from the wisdom of these stories. Very generous of him. Hmm. His father was very impressed that Anansi had even found a way to approach him, but decided to set him an impossible task in exchange for the box of stories. Wait, his father was impressed that Anansi had found a way to approach him? Wow, talk about, I mean, you thought your dad was unapproachable. <laughs> Wait till you hear about Niame. I think it's because he's in the sky, so it's kind of like, oh, you can't reach me. But then he used his thread to get up there. Some dads are just... He was like, I'm supposed to be an absent father. Latchkey parents. You <laughs> You've heard of latchkey parents, now what about <laughs> spider silk parents? Is that going to become your thing now? You've oh. heard of, but what of? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I am a natural advertiser. I know. Um, people, if you want to pay us to advertise, you've got a lovely voice right here. You know, people have always said I have a face for radio. And I just think, (laughs) you know, I've just got this face that tells you I have a great personality. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he decided to set him an impossible task in exchange for the box of stories. Now, this really reminded me about a few few Greek heroes. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, Hercules? Yeah, only here it's not a punishment. But this whole thing about setting heroes' tasks in order to get something, it's interesting that it goes across cultures. Yeah, that is interesting. I suppose it's kind of the main linchpin of any oral tale, though. Like, mm-hmm. there has to be some kind of struggle, or it doesn't... It doesn't, it, yeah. It's not... Um, Otherwise, you're not a hero. Yeah, and it's not satisfying. Yeah. So, 
Uh, the task was that Naomi told his son that he must bring four creatures to him. The first creature, Onini, a huge python, Osebo, a hungry leopard, the deadly Moboro hornets, and the invisible fairy, Momotia, who was famous for her greed, pride, and quick temper. Oh, cool. So as if the hornets and the leopard wasn't hard enough, let's just put in a fucking invisible fairy. <laughs> and a python. So first he sat outside of Onini's lair, the python, and pretended to argue with himself, saying, it is not, and yes it is, one after each other, over and over. Onini soon came out and asked him what the fuck was going on. Is that paraphrased? Uh, yes, that is. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Anansi told Onini that his wife said the stick he was holding was longer than the python, while he thought that the python was longer. Onini said, well, there's an easy way to sort that out. He would stretch himself out next to the stick, and they would measure it. Anansi suggested that since it was difficult for the snake to stretch his curves to the full length of the stick, he should tie him to it, and then he could find out the true length. Oh yeah, that's not suspicious at all. Onini agreed, because he dumb, <laughs> and he was caught. What we have here is that, uh, you see the trick, uh, Nancy's trickery, he used Onini's own vanity against him. I mean, yeah, you say trickery, but this literally all I'm getting from the story is dick measuring. Dude, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, I think... supposed to... This is... Yeah, but that's what I think this is. It's a metaphor for dick measuring. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Especially the fact that it's like his wife said. Yeah, no, and it's a snake. This stick is longer than you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so next was Osebo the leopard. Anansi dug a deep pit, and the next morning he found Osebo trapped in it. Well, that's it. No, no. Oh. <laughs> so, offering to help, he spun a rope from his webs, daring Osebo to use his strength to get out of the pit. When Osebo uh, began climbing, he became entangled on the web. The more he struggled to get higher, the more tangled he got. Finally, he put on move and he was caught. So I remember that Anansi um, has to catch and bring these creatures to, to Naomi. So oh, you right. can't just catch them. Oh, yeah. So that's why he had to uh, trick him into doing that. I'm wanting, wanting, <laughs> dead all alive, but mostly alive. <laughs> Then it was the Moboro hornets, and Nancy cut a small hole in a gourd and made a plug for the hole. He then gathered water on a huge leaf and poured half of, half over his head and half on the hornet's nest, ruining it. When the Moboro hornets angrily flew out, Nancy exclaimed that the rains had come early, <laughs> but that the hornets could hide in the gourd. The first flew in, and then the rest of the hornets followed closely and were trapped. <laughs> the rains are coming. Strangely, it's only rained on my head and my <laughs> nest, but uh... because you know, where is a bitch, and also <laughs> my dad. <laughs> um. Then finally, he had to trap the crafty fairy Mamotia. He knew this final task would be the most difficult, but he also knew of her weakness for yam paste. Ooh, gotta get that yam, that yam paste. paste, you know, it's like Nutella for the ancients. <laughs> and Nancy crafted. A gum baby. Um, a baby made out of gum. Somehow. What, like, like from a gum tree? I assume they didn't really go into details. I mean, I assume it wasn't chewing gum. Uh, maybe, eh? That seems anachronistic. <laughs> um, and he attached a web line to the gum baby's head and set a bowl of yam paste that his wife had made into its lap. Soon Momotia came along and saw the yam paste and went crazy. Unable to resist it, she asked the gum baby for permission to have some. <laughs> oh, great gum baby, please. May I have some of this disgusting squash paste? <laughs> Anansi pulled the web and made the gum baby nod its head. Wow, oh, he made a puppet. Yeah, basically. Momotia eagerly ate all the paste, and when she was finished, she thanked the gum baby, but it didn't move. Becoming annoyed, Momotia tried to thank the gum baby again, but it remained still. Finally, she became so angry that she slapped the baby. <laughs> like, so much for the gratitude. I'm trying to be grateful here. Yeah? Listen to me. And she was like, so, pay attention while I compliment you. <laughs> when she slapped the baby, it she... Reminds, sorry, I'm so yeah, sorry. No, no, sorry. But it reminds me of that TikTok. Oh, I don't know if it was a TikTok or a Vine. Yeah. Where someone was like, oh my god, you look so pretty today. And then um, the other person was like, thank you. And it's like, oh... Just thank you. And it's like, well, I'm sorry. That wasn't a compliment. That was a fact. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so she, uh, so yeah, so she stepped the gum baby. But because it's a gum baby, her arm got stuck to it. She furiously attacked it with the other arm because obviously that makes sense. <laughs> and she got stuck. So what did she do then? She kicked it. And her legs got stuck. To be honest, these people don't sound very good. Let me guess. She then headbutted it and her face got stuck. <laughs> they didn't go that far, but she probably would have. Basically, she was fully trapped. And Anansi managed to gather. 
So Anansi took all four creatures to his father, and Naomi, declaring that Anansi had successfully completed the task, gave him the box of stories, which Anansi then uh, released into the world. Aww. That's actually us- kind of a nice story. It is. He, he didn't gave significantly harm any of the I mean, the only thing creatures. is that, um, what happened to them afterwards? I assume that they were released. You assume, but I have no idea. <laughs> they don't say anything. By the way, these other creatures, were they also gods? Um, I'm not I mean, okay, they say Momachi is a fairy. I don't know if they're gods. They seem to be mischievous creatures, so I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe there isn't actually the concept of gods as such in this particular culture. Yeah, I mean, I know that Naomi is kind of referred to as a god in some stories, but then other ter- uh, stories that like, well, no, Nancy isn't actually a god. He's a very, like, he's a powerful figure. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I'm not, it's a bit unclear. You know what I find interesting also is the combination of actual animals and um, mythological creatures. Mm-hmm. So it's like hornets, leopards, pythons, yeah, those are all real things. You can kind of see it as kind of a worship of nature. Yeah. But then invisible fairy. I know. I was also a bit thrown by that, like what they meant. Like, was it assumed that fairies were actually part of the natural world? Or was it just that the natural world and the kind of mythological world were melded together in this culture? Quite I think it was kind of, yeah, melded together. That sort of idea of, of what we considered fantasy was actually reality for yeah, because it just seems to me like in Greek mythology or Norse mythology, there's a, a more of a delineation between, well, this is kind of like the realm of the gods and the giants and the dwarves mm-hmm. and whatnot, and then there's the realm of the humans, and they're quite separate from each other. Yeah, although although the realm of the humans and like what we consider mythical creatures was very much together. Well, they interact, yeah. but what I'm saying is they're not, they don't really overlap, yeah. whereas when you look at a lot of African mythology, so this and also, say, Egyptian mythology, mm. so suddenly you see the heads of animals on the bodies of people, like it's a direct intermeshing. I think it's the uh, importance of nature in, in the cultures, like how, how that importance varies. Yeah. So for Egyptian culture, for some African cultures, it's it's very important, but for Nigel, Greece, for, for Roman cultures, it was a lot more about, and industry is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying, it was more people-oriented than nature. Mm-hmm. It was more about conquering nature instead of working with it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I, th- no. I believe the word is uh, anthropocentric. No, nice. Anthropocentric? No, that's, yes. Anthropocentric. Anth- no, anthropocentric, I think. Anthropocentric? I should know this. I should know Greek. Right, so uh, what is also interesting is that Anansi and other tales from Akanmud was transported out of Africa um, through the slave trade. So slaves from the Ashanti people were taken to Jamaica and the rest of the Caribbean as slaves during the Atlantic slave trade. Um, The Atlantic slave trade was a transportation by slave traders, often slave African people, mainly to the Americas during the 16th to the 19th century. And so these Anansi tales, or Anansi, which is A-N-A-N-C-Y, as it's spelt in Jamaica, um, are folk tales that are still passed down as oral traditions today. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Um, in the Caribbean, Anansi can be summoned with an offering of treats, smokes, and liquor. <laughs> but if you can't spin a good story to keep him interested, he'll soon get bored and slip away. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's not only the storyteller, he's also the, the story taker. He's also like, yeah, you, got, you got the part. <laughs> It's like, all I needed is my booze, a cigarette, <laughs> and a good story. A treat, <laughs> and a good story. Sounds like my kind of guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, Yo, can you imagine a Nancy in lockdown? Oh god, yeah. He would He would go back to this guy. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm taking these stories back. You're totally batshit crazy. Um, so it was interesting the social influence. Anansi was um, often celebrated as a symbol of slave resistance and survival. Since most of these stories involve him tricking his enemies into using their own attributes against them. So like what I mentioned, um, using Osebo's strength, using Mamachi's own anger and pride against them. Right. So that was, he was used as a symbol of resistance. Using the wasp rampant hydrophobia. Yeah. So the story Wait, that's there... that's not a strength. <laughs> <laughs> the story there is to just dump water on people. Sure. Yeah, it'll work. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's basically Anansi. My references are mythology.net, ancientorigins.net, britannica.com, and of course, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. That's amazing. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I definitely um, didn't. Well, maybe I did learn that much from Neil Gaiman's book. I remember yeah. it did seem quite well researched, mm-hmm. but I've forgotten most of it. Okay. So it was a good, it was a good refresher. Thanks.
<laughs> Absolutely. And how do you feel about that? Because, I mean, I know that you're really scared of spiders, so... You know, because the whole time, I, I didn't see him as a spider. <laughs> I actually don't yeah. imagine him at all. He's just doing all the stuff. Yeah. So I think I'm going to keep doing that. Because <laughs> it's just terrifying otherwise. Yeah, just anthropomorphize him. Okay, if I get it. You like the word. <laughs> I do. It makes me sound uh, clever. He's like a head on a tail. He's clever. Aww. Look at that. Sister moment. Did I say you always sound clever? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> You're always clever, though it is not apparent on the first, <laughs> it's not always second, third, or in fact, depicted. 200th impression. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm done. That's that by now. <laughs> Why the long face? I don't know, it was, I mean, it was a nice story, but I think it's just the heavy background that kind of gets me. Yeah, definitely. Opening with slavery is a bit of a damper. Mm, yeah, I'm sorry. This is supposed to be a humorous podcast. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I think the world is full of horrible things. And right now, people are probably more conscious of it than ever because of, you know, rampant illness and all the other things that have been going on. Mm. But there's, it, I mean, it sounds strange to say, but there is humor in everything. You know, there's nothing funny about slavery, but it's not to say that nothing funny ever happened while someone was a slave or that people never laughed or mm. that there was never... Because it's just part of the human condition yeah. to laugh, just as it is part of the human condition to experience pain and suffering. Yeah. And I don't know where I'm going with this huge philosophical... <laughs> no, it was quote. going really well. I was like, this is, this is true, I'm this nodding is, seriously. This is so deep. <laughs> it is, but I'm making what you're trying to say. Yeah, I'm just trying to say, you know, it, it's not a bad thing to keep it light sometimes, and it's also not a bad thing to talk about how dark things can really get as well. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I could have left out that the history, but I thought it was... Yeah, it was important. And I didn't know most, well, pretty much all of it, so that was useful to me, definitely. Thanks. So, what should I bake next? Um, cheesecake? Ah, so many ingredients. Okay. What what, what ingredients do we have? Flour, mm -hmm. sugar, butter, okay. eggs. Um, uh, pancakes. Ooh, pancakes, yes. I'm ready for anything, really. Uh, oh, wait, I wanted to make donut holes. Okay, I'm especially ready for that. Let's go now. Yes. All right, well, <laughs> you guys go make your own sweet treats, mm -hmm. or whatever it is that funkies your monkey. <laughs> I don't think anyone says that anymore. You're Amabie, as in <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Amabie, not Amoeba. That's what I would keep wanting to call it. Yeah, we're hoping that you're surviving the quarantine. If you're in South Africa, happy lockdown level four. Yeah. And uh, if you're not, hopefully you're not going too star crazy. So until next time, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye. <laughs>